My daughter's in the next room writing her own book and watching Spider-Man, so she might crash this at some point. So apologies if she does. No, that, that would be better, I think. Every writer knows that the best conversations about writing don't happen in classrooms, symposia, or any other fancy artisanal setting. They happen at the bar, usually after deadline. That's the vibe we're going for here. This is The Other 51, a podcast about writing with me, Brian Moritz. This week, I'm joined by Joe Poznanski, and we talk about, among other things, his upcoming book, The Life and Afterlife of Harry Houdini. Joe, first of all, thank you uh, for joining me again. You were guest number four on episode four, and now you are guest on episode number 100. So I really appreciate it. Look at me. Look at me. I should do like all of your sort of like big podcasts. I should be like every number that's, you know, major number. I should be the one that does it. all the significant ones like 50, 100. Absolutely. I think I think yeah. you can book that. Absolutely. Yeah, like 138. I oh. think I should do that one. Well, I think that's obviously that's the goal to get to 138 once you're that's there. That's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so, that's a big one. Uh, so two things of note have happened since uh, since we last talked. Um, well, the first one isn't of note is that um, no Buffalo sports team has won a title. In fact, we're not even close to getting anywhere near there. So that's a bit of a bummer. No, that's it is a bummer. It's a major bummer, but it's also... It's like a no news thing. Like, like you know, as, as I think hopefully uh, people might remember, I, I'm from Cleveland. And the thing about Cleveland sports was there was this long stretch of time, like in the 70s and 80s, where nothing happened. Like the, none of the teams were good and, and, you know, nothing really went on. And then mid-80s, the Browns got good and that sort of, you know, got things going. In 87, the, the Tribe ended up on the cover of Sports Illustrated and lost 100 games. But, like, there was movement. And then there was a, there was another stretch of time where there was no movement. And then and then the uh, Cleveland, you know, baseball got really good and, and there was movement. The thing that stinks to me about Buffalo right now is like there's no – it's just dead water. There's Absolutely. no movement at all. Yeah. You want somebody to at least – if you'd rather have your heart broken than than look around and just go, boy, there's nothing happening here. Kind of like the – oh, yeah, we're in this league too, um, which is kind of yes. how it feels like for both teams. Um, although I would say uh, like our mutual friend Mike Vaccaro, I'm a St. Bonaventure guy, and we've had just a great run the last couple of years. So that's got me something going. So I've got that going for me. Yeah. Um, no, you do have that going for you, and I, I just please pass along to Mike. I don't want to hear about it anymore. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's fair. I think that's uh, no. It's great. It's great to see at least something going on for sure. That's fair. Um, but the other thing of note since we since we last talked that is noteworthy is I finally saw Hamilton. Um, ah, very was, noteworthy. Which was great. We saw the uh, the tour came to Rochester where we live, and um, and this is the type of people we are. We have season tickets to the. Uh, to the uh, Broadway series here because my daughter's heavily into theater. She loves it. It's her thing. And uh, we actually bought season tickets the year before Hamilton came so that we could be grandfathered in when Hamilton actually came the, the, the year later. And um, it was, it was so good. It was, it, 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 it exceeded my expectations and my expectations were incredibly high to begin with, even with the touring company. I even hate saying it's a touring company because that might diminish it in some people's eyes and it shouldn't. It's every bit as good as you think it is. Yeah. Th th that's the thing that's so incredible about it. We have now seen it 
uh, three different times. We saw it in New York and when I wrote about it, uh, a, you know, a few years ago, and then we saw it on the tour, national tour. And then I took my younger daughter to see it in New York with a whole different cast. And it's, it's fantastic every single time. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those shows. That's exactly what you say. You go in super high expectations. You've paid a lot of money to get there. You've, you've waited a long time. You've bought it, tickets in advance, like you did season tickets in advance. And so you have like this, like, Oh my gosh, this is never going to live up to what I'm hoping for. And then it always exceeds. And, and it, in the cast, you know, it doesn't really matter because the people who are in the cast are always so inspired to be a part of the show they're fantastic and and uh you know it's uh it's it's an experience every single time I've, I've never seen a show like it do you have a favorite moment in the show now that i've seen it and can kind of play some staging too because i have one that stands up and i'm i'm curious to what do you have moment or moments that like in the live show maybe maybe struck you more than the cast recording did or kind of hit you differently every time well, I yeah, I mean, I think that as as funny as it is on the recording or or whatever, um, King George uh, oh, in yeah. the in the live show is just just and it's funny we've seen it as I mentioned three times, three different King Georges, obviously, and each one brought his own very very funny take to what seems like a fairly limiting role, right? I mean, you're you're on you're not on stage for that long. But each one had like a slightly different dance and a slightly different, you know, and just hysterically, hysterically funny. So um, love it. Absolutely love it. And uh, and um, uh, those are pro- that's probably if I had to pay. I mean, there's so many great moments. But what is your moment? What so, is the moment? So you're, you're the, the, the moment for me, I mean, obviously, um, um, everything in the show, everything in the show, I'm trying to think. Um, it's quiet uptown. I was blanking there for a second. Oh, okay. I mean, I mean, yeah. I weeping. Yeah. I was weeping openly, weeping at that. And um, my wife, yeah, she hit me because I was squeezing her hand too hard. I'm like, you don't understand. I told her later. I'm like, if I wasn't squeezing, I just would have just been embarrassed, openly embarrassed and crying. But the moment that got me was right in the beginning in the first song when they all uh, when they all line up, and except for Hamilton, who's like coming backstage because he's getting on the ship, and all the characters line up. It's the you never back down, you never learn to take your time, and they're all in a line singing it, and just. The power of that, and, you know, it's a live theater thing, but the power of that that you don't get on a recording, but you can the, the feeling of it and just everybody singing that line, that just, I don't know, that that was like the big moment of like, yes, I'm here. This is, it, it was, that was kind of like the, this is going to be just as good as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so true. I mean, there's so many moments in there where there are, many people singing and and that power of seeing being there live when that many people are singing is just gonna always crush the you know the moment of hearing it on a recording no matter how many people are on there you just can never get quite that power but there's so many you know and it's it's as you said i mean you've got the the sort of the heart crushing moments like uh, it's quiet uptown and and the duel and and so many others and then very 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 funny moments i mean i i remember the first time we saw it the the power of of when thomas jefferson first comes on yes. stage and you know it's it's so funny and electric and 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 wonderful and um you know it's 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 just such a work of genius and and uh, you know there are other great musicals and, and, and other great shows. And, you know, it's not, it's, he, he didn't, he didn't reinvent 
theater, right? I mean, he used so many of these these themes and these methods that uh, that have made other shows great. But he just, you know, he it's that old line about you know everybody uses the same words, but somehow Shakespeare uses them differently. I mean, that's that's what that show feels like. It just feels like. Uh, an artist at the top of his of his power, you know, creating something that is not new but feels entirely new. Yeah, it almost feels. I I, I don't like calling it my favorite musical because to me it's like Hamilton, and then there's everything else. Like I have yeah. my favorite musicals, but Hamilton definitely stands alone. Like you can't compare it to um, other great amazing musicals, but it's such a unique thing. So it's it is. It's incredibly unique. So I'm so glad you got to see it. That's yeah, awesome. That was awesome. So let's talk about this book because I heard you read a wrote a book about Harry. God, I, you know, I, I, I have, I, I, I don't know if I should talk about that. Cause I haven't, I've tried to sort of keep it on the down low <laughs> a little bit. Um, yes, yes. I've written a book called uh, the life and afterlife of Harry Houdini, which is coming out October 22nd, uh, which still feels incredibly far away. And maybe that's because I started, um, sort of, uh, obsessively pitching it, um, months ago. Um, but, uh, really really excited it was it was a completely different kind of project from anything i've ever done obviously as a sports writer to to go out and and try something entirely new and uh it was a little bit uh scary and a little bit different uh but just could not be happier with how it's turned out could not be happier with the early reaction to it it's been the response has been crazy i mean you know really and truly crazy and uh, which is uh means so much to me and uh i can't wait for the people to see it i can't wait for people to share it. you can pre-order it now i you have to say that you can pre-order it at amazon and barnes and noble and IndieBound and all the other places uh but i'm ready i'm really really ready for it to come out and i'm really really ready to sort of take it into the world and see how people respond i'm just excited it comes out on my wife's birthday so birthday shopping done That's ah, perfect oh yeah it's it's the ultimate birthday present it's all anybody's saying what, what's this time like for you for an author i know you've written a couple different books in the past but what's this time like where you have the book it's done it's printed it's ready to roll but it's still like you said a couple months out before it actually comes out so what's this time like for you it's it, this one in particular is frustrating I, I i won't lie and and the reason is because this one it, it was a little bit different i mean i you know i this is my fifth book and each of my other books were on a you know on a different kind of schedule but the schedule was was you know pretty set right so i finished the book like my first book uh sold a baseball i finished the book uh september ish of 2007 and it came out uh no yeah i think 2007 and it came out early 2008 so i mean like it was like six months between finishing the book and when the book actually came out or seven months um that's pretty common. I mean, you know, there, there can be a little bit longer gap, a little bit shorter gap, depending on, on whatever this book, it's almost a full year because they wanted the book to come out, uh, at Halloween. Okay. Like that was, that was really important, uh, to the publishing house. He died on Halloween, but even more than that, which is cool. I mean, you know, that's a, that's a cool part of his story, but what even more so it just feels halloweeny right it feels like you know creepy and magic and and fun and uh and they really thought that that was going to be good for the book and i think they're right you know and of course as a an author who wants his uh, work in the world i i fought at first and said 
No, it really, it seems to me like a perfect, you know, May book, right? You know, just to get that book <laughs> out there. But, um, but I think they're right. So that, that's, you know, it's one thing to say that they're right, but it's another thing to sort of be sitting on the book for as long as, as we have been. That has given us a really good opportunity though, to, uh, make sure the book gets into the right hands of people and, uh, you know, getting it reviewed and getting, um, you know, getting, you know, me out there to, to pitch it a little bit. Um, so there's been a buzz about this book that was probably not there for, for, for most of my other books. And, and it's, uh, that's cool. That's cool. So it's, it's frustrating. Uh, I want it to be out tomorrow. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to, to, to have people see it. Um, but it's, it's smart. And, and, uh, so I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the, in the waiting, but, but excited process. Uh, we're getting much closer. I mean, look, two months out is really not that long anymore because the first, you know, about three or four weeks before the book comes out, I mean, we're in active selling mode. So, so that'll be, you know, that's, that's only a month away. And, and, uh, so we'll, you know, we're, we're getting closer now and, and I definitely can feel that. I've had Jeff Perlman on a few times and we've talked about the book, pro the book writing process and the promotional process. And what's that like for you as, you know, as, as someone who's kind of a lifelong journalist and a lifelong writer to kind of be in selling and promotional mode, is that, what's that like for you? Is it challenging? Does it come naturally to you? doesn't necessarily come naturally to me very little comes naturally to me <laughs> i mean that's that's sort of my that's sort of my reality um but this book is different and and i will say that i mean because you know my first uh well my first four books were all sports books and and i you know i knew generally my first book i had no idea what i was doing and my second book was uh, the machine and and you know it was really a you know, specific to the 75 Reds, there was only sort of a limited place I could go. My third book was Paterno, which had its own, you know, story behind it. Uh, and my fourth book was Secret of Golf, which again was, a, you know, very directly in the golf community. And each of those books, you know, there's a, there's a certain way, you know, to pitch. I like for the, for Secret of Golf, I did 80 radio interviews in two days or something like that. I mean, it was just, just one after another, after another. And, uh, you know, that's not fun, but it's, but it's, you know, you, you know, you have to do it and you, you're, you're excited about the book and you want to sell it. This one, I will say I'm because it's so new because it's such a different community that I've ever written for, because it's such a different book than I've ever written. Um, I'm really, really eager uh, to promote it. You know, I'm really eager to get it out there and, and, uh, and have, uh, certainly been doing that. You know, we, we joke about it, but I, you know, I write all the time about how, uh, you know, Hey, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I wrote a Houdini <laughs> book. So that's sort of become this joke, but, but it really is important to me because I, I want this book. I want people to see it. Uh, I think people like it. I, I think people will really get a kick out of it. Um, it's, I don't think there's been a book exactly like it. You know, that that's a, that's a, different kind of feeling too, because it's both, um, a biography of Houdini, which is, which has been done many, many, many times. Um, but it's also a biography of magic today and sort of Houdini's impact on the world. So, you know, half the book is David Copperfield and, and, uh, uh, you know, I can name several magicians, Joshua Jay and, and, uh, you know, Lee Trebosik and a few other magicians who have, who have taken some inspiration from Houdini and a bunch of, um, sort of Houdini, what I call true believers, um, people who have do Houdini websites or written Houdini books. And, um, and I really dive into their lives and, and what it is that they see about them and why 
this guy who, you know, was at his peak more than a hundred years ago, uh, on vaudeville, just a, just a sort of a New York street urchin who, who, you know, decided to start escaping from handcuffs. Why this guy still is such a, you know, he's the most famous magician in the world today. And, and nobody from that time has survived the way he has. I mean, nobody is as current and, and alive, uh, from that period of time, you know, 1900s and 1910s, uh, like Houdini. And, you know, he's, he's in the news every day, every day you hear about some quarterback pulling a Houdini or some politician pulling a Houdini or somebody who escapes from jail. They must be like Houdini. And, and I was really curious. That was the driving force. What is it about this guy? Why, why do we care? Why does he still matter? Uh, and that, that exploration was so much fun. So, so this one is, I will say a whole lot of fun to, to try to promote and try to get out there and, and, uh, um, We'll see how it goes, but but I'm very excited to do it. How did that that kind of storyline come about? Um, you know, you, you said you're balancing out the biography, you know, telling his life story versus kind of the story that you're telling. So, did, did when when you were when you were kind of reporting and researching that, is that something that just kind of came organically? Like, do you kind of remember a moment where you said, "Oh, I want to do as much about David Copperfield and Houdini's impact as I do on Houdini"? Like, how did that process work out? Work well, it's out? it's. A- it's, it's, a, it's a great question, it's a, and it's a little bit of a complicated question. I always wanted it to be a balance. I mean, that's how the book was sold uh, to, to me. You know, that's, that's, that's what I was pushing. Um, but it was really hard. Really? I mean, from a, from a writing and, and uh, an organizational standpoint, much harder than any of the other books I've done. Because I, I was writing two books and trying to put them into one. I was writing this book about Houdini. I was writing this book about magic and wonder today. And, uh, I mean, it, 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 it was, it was a process and, and I'm not a, I'm not as a writer, I'm not an outliner. I'm not a, a person who sketches things out. Um, generally I'm, I'm generally just a, just a go and, and, you know, write and rewrite kind of person. But for this one, I really had to sketch it out. And I did, I sketched it out in great detail and wrote it. And it was a flop. I mean, it just wasn't working. And then I resketched it out and wrote it again, and it still wasn't there. And then I resketched it out, and so it it was several uh, efforts to really get it where it ended up being. And then, uh, you know, I sort of had a couple of little epiphanies um, as I was working on it, trying to figure out, well, you know, what's the what is the center of this book? You know, that was the hardest thing for me to find because I'm writing about Houdini and I'm writing about wonder today and they're both really important to me, but what is the center of this book? What is, what is this book actually about? And, and it was trying to figure that out that, that led to, to sort of creating this, this structure. And, and uh, like I say, I, I think it's, I think it's kind of unique. I, 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 you know, I've read a lot of books, not just about Houdini, although I read a lot of books about Houdini, but a lot of books about people um, who have had this lasting impact to try to try to see how many people have really written sort of this yesterday and today kind of uh, idea, you know, this life and afterlife idea that that is the that is the center of the book. And there aren't that many. And, and there have been done. And I didn't you know, there have been there are some that are really, really good. But even those I didn't really uh, pull a lot from. I, I kind of had to sort of make this one up a little bit from scratch and, and, uh, 
uh, that's one of the other reasons I'm really, really proud of it. So what is the center of the book? It's, it's, I've, I've tried to explain this even to my wife, you know, cause she's like saying, cause there was a, there was a big change in the book when, when between whichever draft there were, uh, you know, I showed her one draft and she kind of read through it and, you know, whatever. And then the next draft was in, it felt entirely different. It really wasn't, but but as it read, it felt entirely different. And, and she said that, and, you know, my, my editor said the same thing, like, what, what the heck happened? How did this happen? And what I determined was, and I, I don't know if this will make any sense to, to any of the, the listeners out there. Um, the book was about today that, that was the, that was the, the, the sort of this epiphany. And that sounds so silly and simple, but I I kept going back and forth and back and forth. Okay, it's about Houdini and it's about these people and it's about Houdini. It's about these people, and then I realized it was not about any. It was, of course, all of that's in the book, Mm -hmm. but it was about wonder today. That's what the book is about. The book is about wonder and our search for it and our hunger for it and and our loss of it, um, told through this guy, told through Houdini. So. Everything that's in the book about Houdini, the whole biography of the Houdini, is still answering that question of of what does wonder mean today? And then, of course, all of the current people, that's easier. And they're all about what does wonder mean today? So somehow I, I it made sense to me when I'm writing it. And I'm not, I'm not even sure it makes sense to me now as I'm explaining it. Um, but, but it made sense to me as I was writing it where suddenly it was like, you know what, this whole paragraph goes because it's not about today. It's Mm -hmm. about, it's a story about Houdini that doesn't really relate to, to my big theme, which is what does wonder mean in today's world? And, and, uh, and, uh, what does celebrity mean in today's world? And what is, you know, all of those things that Houdini represented, what do those mean in today's world and what can he teach us about those things? And, and that is, uh, that's where the book ended up. No, that, that, that makes sense. And, you know, it's something I do with my, with my students, when we're talking about writing, you know, the, the, what's the, what's the, what are you trying to say with this piece, whether it's a column in sports writing, whether it's a news article, whether it's a, a research paper, in my law class or whatever, you know, I, I, I stress to them all the time. Like it's so helpful to have that topic sentence and, you know, I'm in academia, so we can actually say the purpose of this paper is to blank. You know, you can just spell it out right like I, that. And that I, I, I stress to them to, to use that because that is such a useful tool to like, once you crack that, it feels it does feel like everything falls into place and it's not to say it gets easy or easy after that because it's often not but at least once you kind of have that single sentence that uh, or understanding of what you're writing what it's about like everything it, it does make it easy to like this has got to go this should go here it, it it does feel to me like things fall into place once you crack that yeah i mean i i think i'm sure it's one of those things you talk to about your writers all the uh, to your but your students about all the time and and uh, and that is that you have this great story in the middle of your column or magazine piece or book or whatever it is and you keep writing that story because you love that story so much and you realize wow nothing around it seems to work right you, and and it's all because that story as great as that story is doesn't belong in your piece right it doesn't it doesn't say anything it's fun it's funny it's it's sad it's it's uh emotional whatever the case may be it's a great story on its own but it doesn't further what your point is you right. know and it, and it's it's a topic sentence is one thing but even more uh when you're writing a book it's a purpose and and 
And, you know, you, you it, it's very, very difficult because a book is sprawling and, you know, mine is 350 pages or whatever it is. And, and you're going, you know, you're, you're going all over the place and you want to have the freedom to sort of expand and, 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 and dive deeper into certain things that, that, you know, in a magazine piece you might brush over. Um, but it still has to, it still has to fit the purpose and it still has to get to where you're trying to go. And, and, uh, yeah, that was, that was really, for whatever reason, if it turned the light on for me, I mean, you know, I always felt like I was, I knew what I was doing and I knew where I was going with it. But when I was able to sort of pull it down from two or three purposes down to one, um, it, it really clarified things for me as a writer. So um, as a longtime uh, podcast listener, I know that this is the question you love to get most when, when having written a book, but what surprised you? Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question. It's a great question. Uh, I have said on the podcast a few times that it is the number one uh, most asked question of writers. and, and uh, which, is and why, which is exactly why I asked I, it. I yeah. knew that's exactly why you asked me, and that's why I had to, that's why I had to sort of unveil that, that little story. So much surprised me. I knew so little about this coming in. I mean, it really, it's really true. This is going to be the easiest what surprised you. Because when I did the book on Tom Watson, like what surprised you? Eh, you know, I kind of knew most of the things. I mean, there were a few surprises here and there. This book is like one big gigantic surprise. I, I knew nothing about magic. I knew very little about Houdini. Uh, I just had this, I liked it a lot. I liked magic a lot. I liked Houdini a lot and, and, you know, had this sort of very vague layman like, um, understanding of those two things. So, uh, so it was a constant surprise, constant surprise, what it is that magicians do constant surprise, what it is that they think about when they're trying to, to create wonder, what all of these amazing Houdini stories. I had no idea about anything about at all about, about what it was that Droll Houdini and what it was that that uh, inspired him, and you know, there's there's I have a whole section in the book um, about uh, a, an escape called the Mirror Cuffs, uh, where the Daily Mirror in London had uh, challenged Houdini to escape from these inescapable cuffs. So there's a whole story behind the cuffs and who created them, and it was like this big wonderful thing, and and. Uh, uh, and Houdini was going to have to escape from these inescapable mirror cuffs. And it's been more than 100 years uh, since it happened. And we still don't know hmm. how he did it. We still don't know how he did it. It's, 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 one, of the, it's one of the great lingering um, mysteries of, of magic is how did Houdini escape from the mirror cuffs? So I go in depth, all the theories of how he escaped, my own theory of how he escaped, all these great, great things. I don't think I'd ever heard of the mirror cuffs when I started, you know, I mean, if, if I did, it was, it was very, very vague. So, so for me, the surprise is everything <laughs> about, about the book. Um, but, but, you know, I think, you know, speaking to you as another writer, the surprise to me was what it's like writing a book where you are not in any way, shape or form an expert mm -hmm. or, or even, or even experienced, you know, um, it's really felt like, and this was exciting for me. I didn't know if it would be, but it felt like, uh, being out on the, on the high wire again. Uh, you know, I didn't know who to call. I didn't know who to, uh, you know, who would be able to introduce me to people. I didn't have any sources. I didn't have any, uh, I didn't know a single person in magic when I started the book. Okay. And 
I loved that. That was the, the biggest surprise was how much I loved back being back in the game, trying to build sources and make friends and, and, and talk to people and get them to trust me. And, 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 uh, and all of those things, doing that all over again in, in my fifties and after, you know, 30 years of doing that as a sports writer, uh, I was surprised how much I loved doing that. Did it, did, was it hard for you or is it kind of like the, you know, the, the cliche riding a bike? Like kind of once you, you got, once you realized that you kind of got into a flow of it or was there a little like, Oh, what do like, I kind of, how do you work past that? Oh God, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know who to talk to. I know I'm at ground zero. Was that, how did you kind of work through that? It's so weird. I, I, it was just a thrill for me. You know, I hate, I hate roller coasters. Hate them. I'm, I, I'm not a, yeah, I, I can't do them. But I think that must be the people who like roller coasters. I think that must be the feeling. It's like, it's, it's like a fear you look forward to. It's like, it's like this, this feeling that, you know, is a little scary, but you want it and you, you hunger for it. I remember, uh, not that long into the process. Uh, one of the very first people who, who sort of granted me, um, you know, any kind of access, uh, and it was the biggest break that I got in the whole book, uh, was David Copperfield. And, uh, I went out to Las Vegas and spent time with him and got to go to his museum. And that's a big part of the book. Uh, he has the world's biggest Houdini collection there. And, uh, and I got to spend time with him and, you know, he's the world's most famous living magician and, and there's a lot of Houdini qualities to him. So it was really cool to spend time with him. And I remember, we were we were talking on the phone uh, a couple of weeks after uh, I'd gone to see him and and he was talking about something and and for whatever reason he he kind of said well look this is probably going to be easier for you because it's very clear you know everybody in magic <laughs> he said this on the phone and I just thought man I'm either I'm either like still have like some some skills at like developing sources or I just fooled like the greatest magician in the world, you know, <laughs> I mean, I didn't know anybody, but, but I, I, you know, the, the magic community was so open to me and so cool. And I think, you know, and I'd heard that it was going to be really tough. I'd heard, you know, magicians are very insular. They don't like people coming into their world. They're of course, very protective of their secrets and those sorts of things. And, and I was told it was going to be a very, very difficult, uh, entry for me. And it was not at all. And I think the reason was, and I think this is something I'm sure you say to your students and it's something that I say to young reporters, um, I was clearly the dumbest person in the room and I didn't hide from that. Yes. You know, I didn't mm -hmm. hide from that. I, I went to these people and I said, look, I'm writing a book about Houdini. I'm writing a book about magic. I don't know anything about magic. I don't know that much about Houdini. Uh, can you help me? And if you put it that way and you're that, uh, disarming and you're that honest, um, not everybody's going to be with you, but most people will, most people will want to help you. Um, especially when you make it very clear, you're not there for any threatening reasons at all. You're there because you want to learn and you know, these people have great knowledge and great understanding and this great sense of art and, uh, um, so it was wonderful for me. It yeah. was absolutely wonderful for me. I, I do. I tell my students, and I used to do that as a reporter all the time. If I didn't know something when I was talking to a baseball player or something, it was very much like, this is probably the dumbest question you're going to hear all day, but <laughs> da, 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 da. And it just, it does. It disarms them. The, the worst thing you can do in an interview or kind of a research type situation I found is try to fake it. 
Um, I had faked it and it ended poorly, but when you don't, and, and so I tell my students and it's a hard lesson, I think for them to learn, but I think once you kind of own that and steer into the skit a little bit, yeah, people are willing to help you. They're willing to kind of, they love talking about what they do about their craft, whether it's a pitcher, whether it's a magician or a writer or something like that. Like they've invested a lot of themselves into this. They love someone who's genuinely interested. Most, most of them love someone who's genuinely interested in what they do. That's right. That's a hundred percent right. And I would take it a step further. What they really don't like is you pretending that you know as much as they do. Right. That I think that's really offensive to people. I, I one of sort of the the moments in my career as a sports writer that was that fundamentally changed me was I was sitting next to Billy Williams, Hall of Famer Billy Williams in a press box. Uh, he was the the roving hitting instructor, I think, for the for the Cubs at the time. And it was a minor league game, and I was there, and I was sitting right next to him, and I thought, Billy Williams, you know, sweet swinging Billy Williams, one of the great hitters of all time. And I said, Mr. Williams, I have a question for you, and I know it's really really stupid, and and I apologize, but I don't, I I just wondering. If you could explain to me the difference between a curveball and a slider. And I was 21 years old, probably. And you could hear, like, people in the press box groan. I mean, you could hear them groan when you ask something as as basic and and silly as that. And he spent the next 20 minutes – it was like getting a TED Talk on (laughs) pitching, you know? (laughs) He spent the next 20 minutes – uh, giving me a master class on the difference between the curveball and a slider and how different sliders work. And this is how Gibson slider went. And this is how Carlton slider went. And, and it, it, I, I use that information to this day. This is 30 years ago. And I use that information to this day. And, and he said at the end, and I will always remember this. He said, don't let them laugh. Don't worry if they laugh at you. Don't worry about it. Cause they don't know. <laughs> and, and I think that's right. I think that you you know sort of like on a very surface level, but nobody in that press box and very, very few people in the world know the difference between a curveball and a slider the way Billy Williams does. Right. So that was a real eye-opener for me, and and it was hugely helpful for me and, and completely honest for me when I go up to a magician and I say, okay, I, I don't understand why, you know, how do you even do like a handcuff escape and why – why would people care and what the, what difference does it make and what are you hoping for in the audience and and what do you want them to see and and what do you want them to feel and and you know these people they they don't get asked that right. question a lot and they like it they like talking about it cuz they think about it all the time magicians are just like athletes in the sense of it's 24 hours a day that they're thinking about some bit of magic that they want to do, can do, failed, a trick that they believe is going to be a huge hit but hasn't worked yet. I mean, it's it's a real process, and and they love talking about it. As long as you can say, hey, I'm not coming at this for any other reason other than I want to know. I just I just want to know. And, and I just want it so I can, so I can write about this, this, this incredible art form, uh, in a way that hasn't been written before. So this might be a weird question kind of playing off of that, but I'm wondering, you know, from your, from your work on the book, because I think a lot of people now, especially younger people, they come at magic through the lens of Harry Potter and the movies and the books. How is that kind of reflected, you know, impacted the, the magicians, the performing magicians, if at all? I, I think it, it has only because it's, you know, it's, it's impossible, uh, it's impossible not to be, you know, sort of moved by, 
by the hair of, you know, people who grew up in this world. There, there's a young woman named Jen Kramer who is the only woman uh, with a, a magic show in Vegas right now. Uh, she has her own show in Las Vegas. She's wonderful. She's brilliant. Went to Yale, like this incredibly talented uh, and, and wonderful uh, young woman. And for her, those, those two things absolutely blended. I mean, she chose Yale because it was the place that reminded her the most of Hogwarts. I mean, it was, that's, that's how, you know, that's how her mind works. It wasn't a big role. It wasn't a big player for me in my book because the wonder that I talk about in my book, we all know about the wonder of, of like, um, Marvel comics, right? Mm -hmm. The Marvel movies are, they, they, you know, they're, they spark wonder that you look at the top, 10 movies and six of them are superhero movies. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's a different kind of wonder. I mean, it's still very, very prominent, but it's a wonder that is sort of of our time. Uh, and the same is true with Harry Potter. It's like this, this fantasy, you know, kind of thing, but the magic that you can do with your hands, the magic that you can put right in front of somebody's face and they know it's not real. You know, they know that you're not making, uh, that disappear. You're not, you know, you, there's there has to be a way that they that you can find their card. I mean, there's that you know it instinctively, but can you still use that to to spark this kind of wonder in people? So that's the kind of wonder I really talk about in the book. That's the kind of wonder that obviously Houdini spent his life, um, you know, developing was this idea that this little guy uh, could escape from anything. That's that's this this kind of wonder, and it's not make believe. It's real. It's right in front of your face. It's not it's not like uh you know it's not fantasy. It's not Harry Potter, and and that is um uh that is really cool. And and you know I I you know me I love the Harry Potter world. I love that kind of that kind of magic, but it's it's different than what I was writing about. You've used the word wonder a lot in talking about the book and talking about about magic. How do you define wonder? It's a good question because it is it is the single word that sort of got me into this whole project in the first place. You know, it's it's this sense of believing in the impossible. And and you know, I I talked the, the original name of this book. So there's a wonderful magician uh, named Jamie Ian Swiss who's like a he's like a magic philosopher. And he was talking to me about this book and and he was saying, you know, you the thing you have to remember when writing this book is Harry Houdini was not a magician. And I said, "What do you mean? He wasn't a magician?" He's like, "Oh, he was an he was an escape artist, but he was not a great magician because he didn't do the impossible." Hmm. And I said, "Well, what do you mean? He escaped from all of these, uh, you know, these boxes, the Chinese water torture cell, the the handcuffs, the straitjackets. He escaped from all of these incredible places." And he said, "And this was going to be the name of the book. That's amazing, but it's not impossible." Huh. So the book's title originally was going to be The Amazing and the Impossible and finding the difference between those two words, uh, which I love the concept. And then, of course, I brought it to the publishing house and said, you want a Houdini book that doesn't have Houdini in the title? That's not <laughs> that's not going to happen. So, so that that died a very, very sudden death. But um, but that's the idea of wonder. The idea of wonder is is being able to take your mind. So. So you're grounded. We're all grounded in reality. We're grounded in the day to day. But what is it that can take our minds to believing in something different and more? And, you know, of course, there's religion and that's a, that's a faith is a different thing, I think, from wonder. I'm, I'm talking more in the in the in the secular world that we live in. There's there's this thing that just allows you to sort of just 
you know, that we talk about your mind. Oh, my man, that just blew my mind, exploded my mind. That feeling of wonder, um, I think, used to be more prominent. The, you know, this book started with a uh, a pitch to write a book about Babe Ruth. Okay. And I didn't want, I didn't want to write a book. I, it wasn't for me. This was, I was pitched to write a book about Babe Ruth. And I said, well, I don't want to write a book about Babe Ruth. Uh, and then as it turned out, it was a good idea. A couple of other people who wrote great books about Babe Ruth since then. Um, and they said, well, isn't there anything about Babe Ruth that interests you? And I said, the only thing that really interests me about Babe Ruth is that he inspired wonder in people. Um, that I don't know if anybody can do today, like as a, as an athlete, you know, because he comes from this time, not just before Twitter and before, um, you know, social media in general, but from this time where news traveled slowly and, and people weren't very interested in the personal lives. They were just interested in, in these, these athletes as folk heroes and, and, and Babe Ruth was the ultimate folk hero. And, you know, we can't have it like that today. And I don't think we'd want it like that today, but there was something about Babe Ruth that is lacking today. And there, there's, there, we could never have somebody who's that, you know, that wonderful, uh, forever. I mean, you could be for a brief period of time, it can happen, but over a long period of time, you know, Babe Ruth is still, regarded by everybody basically as the greatest baseball player ever he played you know all these years ago so that's what interested me but i knew ruth wasn't the right guy to tell that story and and so that's that's how i ended up with houdini i thought houdini was a much better vehicle for that story uh and then of course started getting to uh learn more about houdini and realized that this 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 guy lived an amazing cinematic life and and uh and i wanted to tell that story too so I ask everybody who's on the on the podcast this. So I'll ask you, what's the best thing you've read lately? Ooh, the best thing I've read lately is that this is this should be harder than because usually you would ask me that I'd be like, oh god, I've read quite a few good things lately, uh, and I have, but definitely Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead okay. uh, is. I just finished it about a week ago. I'm still spend a ton of time thinking about it. Um, just incredible, haunting. Um, I'm not a huge fiction reader. Uh, I, I tend to prefer nonfiction. Uh, I do read some obviously, uh, probably read maybe a dozen novels a year and, and then many, many more, uh, nonfiction. Um, this was a, this novel just took me to a different place. And, and, uh, uh, even more than for, for me, it, it was even more than Underground Railroad, which was his last book, the one that won the National Book Award and everything else. And that was wonderful. That was an amazing book. But something about this book, there's a there's a twist in it that is um, really, really compelling to me. And uh, I don't want to give too much away. It's not a long book. It's it's a it's a it's a pretty short read. And and it's uh, it'll stay with you. It, it's really, really good. Awesome. Um, and good news. I just checked. Uh, nobody has hit two home runs in a game today yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's only a matter of time. I mean, th- I mean, granted, there have been no games played yet today as right. we record this, but that's a minor detail. I think you'll be safe. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's so. For for those that don't know, I two or three weeks ago, I've always been I've always been kind of interested in this idea of how many consecutive days people hit two home runs in a game, especially since the home run thing uh, blew up. Uh, I would just kind of like the first thing I would look. I would get my baseball reference little email and I'd look and say, Oh, did anybody hit two home runs yesterday? And I started noticing, yeah, they were kind of doing it every day. 
And I don't know what number it was, maybe 16 or 17 in a row. I thought, oh, I wonder if this is getting close to the record. And I looked and saw that it was really not that close to the record. The record was 29. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to write every day uh, uh, during this streak about the two homers thing, because this is the stupid self-destructive things that I do. I just, I just, there was no, nobody asked me to do it. I wasn't getting paid to do it. I just thought, no, this is a good idea for me. So, and, so, so this is where in the internet of your life, the, uh, the gift from Arrested Development, I've made a huge mistake would flash on, right? I knew while I was doing the first one, it was a huge mistake. I knew it as I was doing it. I'm like, what if this streak goes on? But, but you know, they'd have never been more than 29 and we were up to like 17 or 18. And I thought, okay, look, how long is this thing going to go? Well, we're now up to 36 straight days. So I've now been doing this for three, more than three weeks, every single day. And because I'm me and, and, and have no filter, uh, these aren't like little, you know, 200 word updates <laughs> or you know, whatever. They're all like 1500 word, 2000 word, like explorations of who knows what. Um, and now I'm stuck. Because now I've been doing it for so long and it's such an inside joke that I just have to keep doing it until it ends. And it's not going to end because we are in the craziest, most insane home run, uh, not just home run year, which is true, in the craziest, most insane home run month and week mm-hmm. in the history of base. Right now, the home run this week, this past week, was the biggest, craziest home run week in the history of baseball. And next week will probably be crazier, and the next week will probably be crazier. So uh, this thing is never going to end, and <laughs> and uh, I I have no escape. I, I told my friend Ellen Adair, a uh, wonderful actress um, who has done the podcast with me a couple times, um, I told her, I said, you know, this is this is a prison. And she said, this is a prison of your own making. So I have no, she's right. It's a prison of my own making. I have, I have totally trapped myself uh, for no apparent reason. I, I feel like I should make a Houdini escape joke, but I'm not that clever. <laughs> so um, the book is out on October 22nd. Uh, everyone should read it. Everyone should pre-order it. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to be on today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. As always, thanks for listening to The Other 51. You can find show notes for this episode and all our episodes at sportsmediaguide.com on The Other 51 tab. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. I can highly recommend Overcast for this. Our theme music is by Ellie Moritz. 